Uh, before we get into God's word, I, I just want to say a special thank you to uh, Adam Folk, who is not with us here in person, but uh, has been our AV mastermind as we've navigated this crazy season. Uh, and every week we're, we're learning a little bit more about this system and how to best use it when we're trying to not just broadcast one direction onto Zoom, uh, but also have Zoom be part of our fellowship here. And so um, you guys heard some of the, uh, the little bit of echo effect here, but uh, this morning, you know, as we welcomed Lauren, Dan got to sound like he was, you know, at Spike Stadium or something uh, before all of us, but that was, uh, that's, that's a step in the right direction that we're really excited. And so I just want to say thank you to Adam uh, for your, your hard work in making this at all possible. Um, okay, so hopefully uh, you all have Bibles and outlines and, and things like that. So whether you're here in person or whether you're joining us on Zoom this morning, I trust that, that some of us this morning know very well the love of Jesus Christ. I also believe that some of us here this morning know that you don't know very well, the love of Jesus Christ. And it's also very possible that some of you joining us this morning feel like you you used to know that love, perhaps uh, many months or, or even years ago, but perhaps that love has faded a bit. It feels like it was some wonderful dream that you had a long time ago, and try as you might, you've not been able to get back to that place. Regardless of which of those categories you yourself find yourself in this morning, I want you to know that I've been praying for you. And our scripture text this morning from Ephesians chapter 3 has been the model for my prayer for you. My hope is that this morning, by God's grace, Every one of us is going to walk away knowing, <laughs> at best, we have only barely begun to understand the love of Jesus, but also that you would understand that you can know that love. So let's dive in. This is the Apostle Paul, a missionary of Jesus Christ, writing to the Christian church at Ephesus. We're picking up in chapter 3, starting at verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. 
Lord Jesus, there's no way to improve upon this prayer. And so I just ask this morning that you would make this true for us as we open your word together. We pray it in your precious name. Amen. Our text begins with these three words, for this reason. And so in order to understand where Paul goes in this prayer of his, we need to start by asking, for what reason, Paul? Well, thus far in, in this letter to the Ephesian church, if you're not familiar with this, this letter uh, that Paul wrote, Paul has been focusing on the unity that Jesus Christ has developed between Jew and Gentile and also become between all of mankind and God. And both of those are absolutely remarkable truths. Because those are the two greatest divides in all of human history. All mankind can be divided up into either Jew or Gentile, which basically is just non-Jew. So you're Jew or you're not Jew. And both sides saw the other as having virtually nothing in common with them. But regardless of whether you were Jew or Gentile, you all, because of sin, because of your rebellion against God, were separated from him. The, the divide that existed here was nothing compared to this divide between all mankind and God. Now, Paul explains that, that there has been unity brought in bringing Jew and Gentile together in one church through Christ. And that through Christ, God and man can likewise be unified. And Paul says that this had been planned by God all along, but has been a mystery and it's only now been revealed. And, and, and so now God has sent missionaries like Paul with this incredibly good news to proclaim to all people that they can at last fully experience the love of God and unity with one another. And with that context in mind, we can now return to verse 14. Because of that message of unity between all men and God, for that reason, Paul bows his knees before the Father, and he prays this prayer. And so the first thing he prays is point one on your outline. Paul prays, starting in verse 16, that according to the riches of God's glory, God may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So at its core, this request is a request for strength. Paul asks, God, would you grant it be that these people, the members of this church in Ephesus, would be strengthened with power? And Paul does not leave us wondering about the nature of this strength. Is it, is it physical strength? That they might do mighty works? Or that they might be healed of their ailments? Or that they might prevail over their enemies? No. Paul is praying that this strength, that this power, would be manifest in their inner being. There, there is an inner strength here, provided through the Holy Spirit of God. And Paul tells us why he's praying for that inner strength. Paul prays for that strength so that Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, wait a minute. Why would Paul who is clearly writing in this letter to Christians, ask that God 
would cause Christ to dwell in their hearts. If they're Christians, isn't Christ already dwelling in their hearts? Well, the answer is yes, actually. So then why pray this way, Paul? Why ask that God would make be what already is? Well, first we should recognize that sometimes Paul uses words in multiple senses. Okay? So, for example, in other places, God calls a people holy, while at the same time, the same verse will call them to become holy. It's a way of declaring that, that in Christ, people are already there, but, but not yet there. And, and we know this reality in our own lives, don't we? You can even think of it this way. If you are a Christian here today, in this church, in person, or here on Zoom, if you are a Christian here today, has Jesus Christ saved you from your sin? Yes. Praise Jesus. <laughs> he has indeed. Now, if you are a Christian here in this church, in person this morning, or joining us on Zoom, if you are a Christian here, is Jesus Christ saving you from your sin right now? Yes. Yes, he absolutely is. If you are a Christian here, is Jesus Christ one day coming back to save you from your sin? Yes. Yes. All three of those are are glorious, necessary, non-contradictory truths. So should we be surprised when Paul says that he is praying to God that Christ would dwell in the hearts of believers in whom Christ dwells? <laughs> now, it is already so, and it is not yet fully so. Now, let's consider for a moment what, what it even means that Christ dwells in our hearts. We can take this for granted. When the Bible talks about the heart, it's in reference to our desires, our passions, our motivations. It's, it's the core of who we are as people. And so for the, the Christians here this morning, there came a time in your lives, which may have been a moment or it may have taken years, it may have been a slow process, but... There's a point at which you came to love Jesus Christ. He came to be your heart's desire. He came to be your passion. He came to be your motivation. He came to dwell in our hearts. But Paul's prayer here is that we would have still more desire for Christ. That we would have still more passion for Christ. That we would have still more motivation for Christ, that he would dwell in our hearts by faith still more. So we love Christ, yes. But we ought to pray that we would love Christ still more. And those of us here together, and those of us joining us virtually on Zoom, you love Christ, many of you love Christ. Christ, and you should pray for one another. This prayer that you would, that, that others around you would love Christ still more. And I believe that here in our midst, there are some who want to love Christ, and so we ought to pray for them, that God would give them what they want, that they want to know Jesus the way that others around them do. Paul says, amen. 
pray for them. That's what I'm doing. We need these prayers, friends. I need these prayers. Years ago, when I turned from atheism and gave my life to following Jesus, it began as an intellectual and convictional decision. It simply made sense to me. But as I prayed prayers like this one, and as others prayed prayers like this one for me, change, change began to take place. I grew to love Jesus. He became my heart's desire. That didn't happen quickly. And it was often not pretty, I'll be honest. You can ask my mom and brother. They're part of this church. (laughs) They will tell you. But it happened. Slowly, the shows I watched and the music I listened to and the words I used and the girls I was attracted to and and how I thought about money and, and who my heroes were, all of it slowly over time came to increasingly reflect my increasing love for Jesus. <laughs> and guys, it's still happening today. I have not arrived. The things I love and how much I love them and what I do with my free time and how I'm involved in this church and the things that make me happy or sad or angry, all of this because of my prayers and the prayers of others by the grace of God came to reflect Jesus being my motivation. No longer am I driven, or at least I'm driven less and less, by any kind of self-exaltation or for, for that desire for people to like me or really the hope of doing absolutely anything perfectly. Instead, I am driven more and more by Christ being exalted and by a desire for people to love Jesus. Not, not me, Jesus. And by the hope that Christ and Christ alone does everything perfectly. How did that change take place? How did my affections so develop. How have I come to love Christ more? It's because people in my life, including many of you in this room and sitting at home on Zoom right now, are praying for me, just like Paul is praying for Ephesus. And that's why I have likewise been praying for you. So, brothers and sisters, I ask you, would you please pray this for me and for the rest of us in this room and joining us online? We need this. We need God's strength. We need God's power. And and don't miss this point, friends. We need God's strength. We need God's power. If you want to love Christ more, and if you want your brothers and sisters around you here to love Christ more, and if you want your non-Christian friends, and your family, and your co-workers, and your managers, and the President of the United States to love Christ as well, do not look within yourselves for that power. It is no longer, or is no more possible for you to generate increased affection within the hearts of sinners than it would be possible for a double-A battery to power an aircraft carrier. That's a joke. It's a joke to think 
of anybody even suggesting that. No, that kind of power must come from a much, much, much more powerful source. That, my friends, is what drives Paul to his knees. He sees clearly what is needed. He knows full well that he can't do it, and neither can you, and neither can I. We need God's strength. We need God's power. So let us pray, as Paul did, that God may grant us to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in our inner beings so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. That is Paul's first request to God. Now let's consider his second request here in this prayer. Paul prays that you may have strength to know Christ's love. Paul's second petition to God for the Ephesian church starts halfway through verse 17. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So again, we see Paul is praying for strength. Why, Paul? Why do we need strength this time? Well, he gives two reasons. He says strength to comprehend and strength to know. And those are very similar things, right? What does he want us to comprehend? He wants us to comprehend what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And then he kind of trails off. (laughs) Of what? Of what, Paul? What do you, what's so big that you want us to know? Well, it's the same thing that he then says he wants us to know, to comprehend, and to know it's the love of Christ. That's what he wants us to know. And so once again, we find Paul praying that that which already is would be so still more. He's doing it again. He's saying, listen, Christians, listen, those of you who know the love of Christ, I'm praying that you would know the love of Christ. I want you to comprehend. I want you to understand. I want you to fully grasp with all the saints, which with everyone, everyone else who knows the love of Christ, what is the breadth and length and height and depth of that love? I want you to know the vastness of it. I want you to see and hear and smell and taste and touch that love as far as any of those senses can experience it. And then I want you to go infinitely further in and infinitely further out. That's an expansive prayer, isn't it? Do your prayers sound like this? I confess that mine don't. My prayers are like tiny little things. And Paul, he's like, you just just think how big these prayers could be. And then Paul makes it bigger than that. I mean, just look at verse 19. Paul wants them to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Guys, Paul is saying that his prayer is that the Ephesian believers would know that which can't be known. (laughs) No wonder Paul is praying for God's strength here. He says, literally, you can't do it. You can't know the unknowable. It's beyond us. It's so far beyond us that it boggles the mind to consider. No matter how far we travel, Paul is saying, east, west, north, or south, And whether we search into the furthest reaches of the cosmos or into the deepest depths of cells and molecules and subatomic particles that mankind has not even begun to explore, if we were to spend all eternity mining those depths with the utmost of all our wisdom and understanding and scientific knowledge and 
philosophical understanding and imagination, we would only just barely have begun to fathom the smallest aspects of the love of Jesus Christ. That is what Paul is saying here. But Paul is praying that you would know that love. Do you know that love? I told you that I've been praying this prayer for all of you. For those of you who have been around Grace Fellowship Church as long as I have. It's not many of you. And for those of you who have only just started visiting us, I've been praying Paul's prayer for you. I prayed that you would know this love that surpasses knowledge. And I, I began these prayers by praying that every one of us would recognize that there's something broken in the world and that the world's, there are many things broken in the world, but the world's biggest problem is not politics, it's not coronavirus, it's not anything out there. What's broken in the world is inside of us. It's called sin. And sin is not simply the things we do that dishonor God, but it's rather the entire orientation of our hearts in rebellion against God. We want to be God. We want to be in charge. We want to, have, to be the centerpiece of all creation. And anyone who's not on board with that agenda, including God himself, becomes our enemies. And so, we become God's enemies. And then, altogether blinded by our sin, what we failed to consider in this grand scheme of taking God's throne away is the magnitude of the power of our infinite God, now directed against us in our pathetic little rebellion. What we deserved was death, to perish in our sin, to be utterly crushed and disposed of like the treasonous trash that we were. But listen to these remarkable words from Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We, the sinners, were the ones who deserved death. But God's infinite love expressed itself in redeeming us, us sinners, through Jesus Christ, God's Son, willingly dying in our place. Many of you guys know that I have four sons. They're kind of piled up over there right now. And they look like me, and they sound like me, and they may even have more energy than me. And I love them dearly. I would never give one of my boys one of their lives, even on their most disobedient and frustrating days, for a people who hate me 
and have declared war against me. How much greater would God's love have to be to give his only son who are exactly in that kind of rebellion against him? So I ask again, do you know that love? If you haven't known that love, I pray you do know. I've been praying for many weeks now that you would know that love. And I pray that you don't walk out of those doors today, if you're here in person, or log off of this Zoom call without placing your life into the hands of a God who loves you so much that he gave everything for you. And if you do know that love, would you join me in praying this prayer with Paul? That each of us would have the strength to know the unknowable depths of that love still more. That's Paul's second request. Here's his final one. Paul prays that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, I'll only briefly address this request because Paul only briefly addresses this request. You can see it halfway through verse 19. Paul prays that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God is, by his very nature, full. He must be. To be non-full in any way would imply that he lacks something, that, that something would be missing. But that's not the case, for God is infinitely full in all his qualities. We, on the other hand, are neither infinite nor full. Each one of us has limited capacity. Each one of us is lacking with certainty in a multitude of ways, in knowledge, in time, in energy, in morality, and so on. And so Paul is praying here that all of God's infinite fullness would fill us. Unlike the other parts of Paul's prayer, we're not told the purpose for this filling. Hmm. There's no, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. There's no, that you would know the love of Christ. Paul only tells us that he is praying for the fullness of those Ephesian believers. So we can only infer what Paul might have in mind here. But you're already listening to me, so I'll tell you what I think. Just a little bit later, in Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 11, you don't have to turn there, just listen, Paul says this. He's, he says that, that the ministry leaders are given by God to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, I'm not going to unpack all that, but the basic idea is that Paul equates the fullness of Christ with unity, 
knowledge, and maturity among Christians. So I think this this filling from God that Paul is praying back in, in verse 19 is so that we could individually encourage the unity, knowledge, and maturity of others around us. Well, how does that work? Well, have you ever noticed the fact that fullness plus movement equals spilling? That is, if you're full and you are active in any way, you can't help but get what's inside of you unto others. Hmm. This Thanksgiving, when you are surrounded by friends and family, whether they're Christians or not, I dare you to move. And I challenge you to pray with Paul and with me that that others around you would likewise be filled with all the fullness of God. So Paul's three prayerful petitions here are complete. He has prayed that you may have strength for Christ to dwell in your hearts, that you may have strength to know Christ's love, and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. But this is Paul. He, he has many words, and when he gets excited about God, they tend to overflow. I can relate to that. And so Paul can't help but add one more addendum to this prayer. Here it is. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now I've called this final point, to God be glory. Though perhaps ironically, Paul doesn't actually identify God by name here. Isn't that weird? But he implies God pretty strongly, I think, addressing this phrase to him who is able to do far more abundantly than ask, all we ask or think, to him be glory. And such a one as that would be altogether of, of all, altogether worthy of all our glory that we could possibly give him, right? Wouldn't you say, consider with me, how much can you ask for? What are the biggest things that you can think of? God is able to do far more abundantly. Not slightly more. Not enough to pleasantly exceed our expectations. No! He's able to do far more abundantly. So, let me ask you, what is the biggest hindrance, do you think, in your spiritual growth right now? Whatever it is, God is able to remove it. And to do so in ways that will knock your socks off. I, I've talked to so many of you, individually, even over this crazy year. 
I've heard testimonies of God doing this very thing again and again and again and again and again. It's true. He does far more abundantly. Let me ask you another question. What do you think God could use you to do in his kingdom? Maybe, maybe next week? Maybe next year? Maybe over the next 10 years? Whatever it is, God is able to do far more abundantly than anything you could imagine even in your wildest dreams. When I started coming to Grace Fellowship way back in 2004, my grandest hopes when I walked through the doors was that maybe I would get some good Bible-based teaching and maybe make a few friends. And that was a fine dream. But one of the greatest joys in my life has been the privilege of being one of your shepherds here at Grace Fellowship Church. I've gotten to know so many of you so well and have come to think of so many of you as dear friends and faithful companions. So my dream had been filling my schedule with some good things. God's plan was filling my heart with some of the best people I've ever known. And that has brought me far, far greater joy than all I'd asked or imagined. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. So let me end our time in this text in the same way Paul does, recognizing two major avenues of the expression of the glory of God. These are brief. The first is his church the body of all believers in Jesus Christ, both Jew and Gentile, across all time and space, unified by the grace of God in Christ, including those of us who are here, right here, right now, and sitting at home, joining us right now. And the second is Jesus Christ himself, the one who created you, who died for you, and who loves you more than you will ever be able to comprehend. In both these entities, in the church and in Jesus Christ, God both receives and displays his glory throughout all generations forever and ever. And so, this Thanksgiving, friends, I encourage you to dwell on this text. It takes just a minute to read but I encourage you to dwell on the character of the God this text describes. Why not commit for the next week to reading this prayer first thing in the morning, maybe last thing before bed, and bowing your own knees before the Father, pleading with him for strength. Pray this prayer for yourself. Pray it for, the, for all those in the home in which you are dwelling over Thanksgiving. Pray it for those of us here in this church. 
May it be a source of much encouragement to you, even over this very long and difficult year. And may it yield increased hunger to know God, to love him, and to give him all the glory that is forever due his name. Let's pray together right now, shall we? Our Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, according to the riches of your glory, would you grant that each of these, my dear friends, would be strengthened with power through your Spirit in their inner beings, so that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith, that they, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. May they be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to you who are able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.